Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading. Hello, ahoy, welcome to the smartest show in the solar system. My name is Dan. Thank you for finding us, for following, for listening. Something very exciting has literally just happened. Uh, Our entry for the annual Best Podcast in the Universe Awards has just been sent off this second, pretty much. Uh, It's currently on its way to Proxima Centauri B, which is an exoplanet a little way out of our solar system. It's where the contest is being held later on this year. You need to send off your best bits so the judges can say if it really is the best podcast in the universe. You might remember, uh, we've already won it twice in a row. So keep your fingers and your tentacles crossed. Can we make it three times luckier? Uh, I should really sort out my flight for that, really. Don't want to speak too soon. Anyway, that's all happening. This week on the show, we will talk about dinosaur feet and we'll find out how they managed to hold those big beasts upright. Now, with the technology that we have, I was able to use um, just simple cameras and even my, um, my mobile phone to take pictures of all the fossils I saw. And using a specific software, I was able to reconstruct in 3D each bones individually. And then with another software that is uh, used for 3D modeling, like animation, like any kind of Disney movie, etc. I was able to put this fossil in 3D together and reconstruct different foot posture, for instance. Also, Techno Mum is back looking at gadgets that you can use in games. Uh, this week, you can hear all about the cameras that catch all of the action. The technology is constantly improving. I've noticed that sometimes you see cameras panning around, like in a stadium and especially during opening and closing ceremonies. Oh, I do like an opening ceremony. And I've got your questions as always. This week they are on cats and space. It's all coming up in a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's kick things off with your science in the news. Now, NASA, the American Space Agency, is getting ready to launch its new moon rocket, the space launch system they've been building. It will propel a capsule called Orion into the atmosphere on Monday. I mean, it may already be up there by the time you're listening. Uh, There'll be no astronauts on board it this time, but next time, hopefully there will be. Earth haven't sent humans to the moon uh, for 50 years. This is brilliant news. Hopefully in the future, we can use this, uh, the moon, as like a space service station. Uh, So we can stop off there and go and explore more of the universe from the moon. Uh, Also, here's some more James Webb Space Telescope news. Remember, this is the world's largest and most powerful telescope. It's revealed some incredible views of Jupiter. 
Jupiter is the largest planet in the solar system. These pictures show some giant storms, uh, some moons and rings surrounding the gas giant in more detail than we've ever known it before. And now the way we are advancing our knowledge of the universe around us is amazing. There are things happening up there all the time. And it's great to know more about places that we might need to send humans to one day. Now back down on Earth last off this week because trees in the UK are confused. Week but weeks before they're meant to, quite a lot have been dropping their leaves because they think it's autumn. Experts say this is because of the recent heat wave and the drought. The trees have got no water, so they've gone into survival mode, so they are shedding their leaves early. This is bad, bad news. I mean, we can see the effects of climate change all around us. The world is getting hotter, and it's throwing nature all over the place. I think the only benefit to this is that it's good to remember what we need to do. If you are in a drought, lots of places are around the world, you need to limit how much water that you are using on washing and on your showers. It's time to check in with one of our favourite geniuses on the show, uh, Professor Hallux. He's here with his Dental Depository series. Now, now Hallux knows everything about your body, right? He's told us before about your feet, about your hands, about your ears, about your eyes, about your nose. This series, it's all about what's happening inside your mouth, from your teeth to your tongue, to your lips, to your gums, to plaque. Uh, this week, it's all about toothbrushes, what we need to keep us clean. Did you know the first toothbrushes started to be used in China over a thousand years ago, but they used hair from animals as their bristles to keep them clean? Let's find out more. Professor Halix's Digital Dental Depository, with support from Philip Sonicare. <laughs> to honour great uncle Halitosis, dentist extraordinaire, on the occasion of his 100th birthday, Professor Halix is creating a pop-up digital dental depository, an oral health help desk. He's going to see how many questions all about teeth he can answer against the clock. I think the turbine's nearly up to speed, or our toothbrushes will be. Are you ready, Nanobot? I'm ready. Let's go. First question. What different types of toothbrushes are there? Good question. Well, as we have seen, hundreds of years ago, people used small twigs to clean their teeth. Although I doubt many people still use a twig today. Toothbrushes as we know them today started to be used in China over a thousand years ago. Although using hair from animals as bristles. The first mass-produced toothbrushes were seen in the early 19th century, with bone handles and using pig bristles in cheaper toothbrushes and badger hair in more expensive ones. As well as plastic handles, synthetic fibres started to replace animal hair in the 1930s. A more recent development has been electric toothbrushes. At first they were a luxury item, but today there's a wide variety to choose from. Some for adults, some for kids, and some with even cool apps and fun stuff to help you remember to brush your teeth for two minutes. A strong start there, Professor. Right, next question. Why use an electric toothbrush? Isn't a simple manual one just as effective? Well, the most important thing of all is to make sure you do brush your teeth, whatever type you use. A sonic electric toothbrush makes 31,000 brush strokes a minute. To match that, you'd have to brush your teeth for a month using a manual toothbrush. And get a sore arm. Right, next question. When choosing a new toothbrush, what do you need to consider? Well, you need to think about whether your toothbrush is the right size and shape for your mouth. 
you need a brush that allows you to reach all the way to your back teeth and a handle that is comfortable to hold. You also can choose whether the bristles on your brush are soft or harder. Most people choose soft bristles as harder ones can hurt your gums. Electric toothbrushes have significantly smaller brush heads than a manual toothbrush. This helps you to reach those awkward areas at the back of your mouth more easily. Whichever type of toothbrush you use, always read the instructions to make sure that you're using it properly. As electric toothbrushes do more of the work for you than a manual one, you need to be more careful that you're brushing correctly to prevent damaging your gums and wearing away the tooth enamel. We're racing towards the finish. Time for one last question. How long should you brush your teeth? For exactly the same amount of time as you'd brush your teeth any other way. Two minutes twice a day. Did you know some clever electric toothbrushes will turn themselves off after two minutes and even beep to remind you to brush all areas? That's correct, and time's up. Brilliant, Professor. Very respectable score there and lots of data for our digital dental depository. Professor Halix's Digital Dental Depository with support from Philip Sonicare. Find out more at funkislive.com slash Halux. Now, if you have a question that you want answered on the show, anything sciencey at all that you think I can solve for you, I can do the digging and the research and explain it to you, you need to let me know. One of the ways you can do that is as a review on Apple Podcasts. That's what Isla has done. She wants to know, do cats pant like dogs? Well, yes, they do. I'll be honest, Isla, I didn't need to go far to do my research for this because my cat, Tiggy, she is kind of a gingery, black and white, tabby thing. Um, She likes to scratch and sometimes be quite cute. Anyway, if she gets hot or a bit too excited, she will pant. She'll lay down and gasp, try to suck air into her lungs. Cats don't do it as often as dogs, but they do do it. Now, panting helps them get air quickly into their lungs, which spreads oxygen to their cells, which helps them cool down and refresh. Uh, So most animals pant, including cats and dogs. Thank you very much for the question, Isla. Uh, Another brilliant way that you can get your question answered on this show, it lets you be the star of the Science Weekly as well, a very prestigious honour, is by leaving it as a voice note at funkidslive.com, just like this. Hi, just wondering... How long is a light year? Why, thank you very much, Theo. Lovely to hear from you. Thank you for taking the time to leave your question as a voice note. Uh, Well, a light year is a measure of distance, not time. Quite confusing because it's got year in the name of... Anyway, it's the amount of distance that a beam of light covers in one Earth year. Now, light travels at 186,000 miles a second. We can do the maths. There are 31,536,000 seconds in a year. So light travels 5.88 trillion miles in a year. It's an awful long way. It is one light year. Thank you very much for the question, Theo. Seriously, if there's something you would like answered on this show, get your phone out. Record it as a voice note for me, borrow your mum's or dad's, whoever it is, then send it over on the free Fun Kids app or at funkidsalive.com. 
Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading! It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Now, scientists have cracked an enduring mystery, discovering how huge dinosaurs have stayed standing. To tell us more, Dr. Andreas Janel from the University of Queensland is there. Thank you, Andreas. How are you? Hi, everyone. I'm very fine. Hope everyone is good. Now, dinosaur feet. What made you want to research this? So I was uh, lucky enough to do my PhD um, at the University of Queensland in Australia studying uh, sauropods, so this gigantic uh, plant-eating dinosaur with long neck and long tail. And during my study, I realized that uh, one long-standing question was how this gigantic animal that weighed more than 50 tons, so that's like 10 elephants, could support their weight on land. It must be quite hard to look into sauropods that lived millions of years ago. Where did you make a start to possibly figure out what their feet were like? So for that, I looked at different um, fossils around the world, and including a couple of them in Australia. Um, and then I traveled around different uh, museums in, um, in different countries, like in Germany and France and Switzerland. Um, and I tried to kind of reconstruct this uh, fossil in 3D. Oh, I'd love to know more about that. How, how did you do that? Was it through some incredible computer tech? Um, yes and no, because um, now with the technology that we have, I was able to use um, just simple cameras and even my um, my mobile phone to take pictures of all the fossils I saw. And using a specific um, software, I was able to reconstruct in 3D each bones individually. And then with another software that is uh, used for 3D modeling, like um, animation, like any kind of Disney movie, etc., I was able to put this um, this fossil in 3D together and reconstruct different foot posture, for instance. So, what did you find generally about these sauropod feet? Uh, feet. So, how many toes do they gen? Do they tend to have? How does it look? What are the toe beans like? So the um, sauropod have usually five toes um, on the back hand foot. Um, and we never really knew how, because they're fossil, we really never knew how they could, like, um, the foot posture, basically, um, the, the foot skeleton, what it looked like, really. So this is why I played around with uh, the uh, animation software to try to reposition different foot posture. Now, these dinosaurs you were looking into weigh a lot, tons and tons and tons. You mentioned all those elephants earlier. What was it to do with their posture and size that was helping them stay standing? So what we found out is that um, these gigantic animals were basically walking on um, on their tiptoes at, at the back feet. And what we looked at is trying to apply some um, some forces on the foot and look at how the stress distributes within this, um, these toes, basically. And we found out that none of those could um, support any kind of large forces, like tons, um, without the presence of a 
what we call the soft tissue pad. <sighs> Carrying all, all that weight on your tiptoes, uh, how much do you think it might have hurt them, Andreas? Surely that would really, really be painful. So, yeah, that's what we, uh, we showed in our research. Like, if we do not include the soft tissue pad, we can see that the bones will have fractured instantly, like completely broken off. Um, and when we actually had the soft tissue pad, we can see that the soft tissue pad absorbed most of these um, huge forces and it redirects the stress from the bones to the soft tissue pad that actually um, absorb this energy and dissipate it. Now, we know all about evolution on this show, and this might be stretching your research just a little bit, Andreas, but bear with me if you can. If these creatures were able to stay standing and hold that weight because of their soft tissues, how much do scientists think that creatures that came before maybe didn't have that soft tissue and would have just crumbled when they stood? Yes, exactly. So that's a very good question. And um, we look into that as well. Yeah, so the uh, what we found out that the ancestor of um, sauropod were bipedal dinosaurs and that we use exactly the same methodology and we actually reconstructed a tiny soft tissue pad um, in the foot to see how that can, um, well, w what we obtain with this soft tissue pad. And we see that this kind of what we call an incipient soft tissue pad, so like what we can describe as a tiny, tiny soft tissue pad, would have helped uh, support the weight of this ancestor. And what we propose is that this tiny incipient soft tissue pad will have further developed during the evolution of this um, gigantic sauropod and help absorb all the forces of these animals. Amazing. It's brilliant, isn't it? Something so small can make such a big difference to such a huge creature. Well, it's been an absolute treat to chat to you, Dr. Andreas Janel. Uh, thank you for well, doing this study and telling us all about it. Thank you so much for your interest. For this week's Dangerous Down, where we look at some of the most mean and cruel things in the universe, we're taking a peek at the cuckoo bird. Now, you might think it looks sweet and innocent because it makes a nice sound, but how new cuckoos are born is pretty devastating. You see, a mum cuckoo gets very clever. She will lay her eggs in the nest of another bird that's keeping its own eggs safe. Now, these cuckoo eggs are ingeniously designed and coloured. They are disguised as the other bird's eggs. So the host, whose nest it is, doesn't actually know the difference. Then the cuckoo becomes a parasite, which means it feasts off another creature. This bird, this bird that doesn't really know what's going on, uh, keeps the eggs warm and safe until the cuckoo egg hatches and it's hungry and it needs a meal. So, uh, kind of disgustingly... It eats the other birds in the nest as soon as it's born. These newly hatched eggs get instantly de destroyed by the cuckoo parasite spy, and then it just flies away. And this new cuckoo gets ready to do it all over again to another nest, disguising its egg as the parasitic bird gets ready to feed once more. Cuckoos, they might look sweet and make a nice sound, but they are devastatingly dangerous in the animal kingdom. Before we go this week, let's check in with Techno Mum. She's our favourite gadget genius. 
For the last few weeks, she's been telling us how different forms of technology has massively improved the sports that we play and watch. This week, it's mainly on that last bit, on watching it. It's all about the different types of cameras that catch the action, and Technomum is helping us find out a bit more about them. Technomum's Sport Technology. Sam's excited about the summer of sports and is finding out how technology and sport are linked. He's noticed that there are lots of different cameras catching the action. And Mum helps him take a closer look. Could you turn it down a bit, Sam? Dad and I are trying to watch this movie. <laughs> but it's the diving. Come on, have a look. It's awesome. Wow, you're right. Seriously impressive. Although, you wouldn't get me on that board. Look how high it is. I have to admit, I'd much rather watch than have a go. Oh, I feel sorry for the camera operator. Look, they follow the diver off the board right into the water. They'd be daft. They're not diving. They'll be on dry land operating the camera remotely. It's called a dive cam and is a pretty cool piece of technology. It steadily films each diver's motion in free fall. So they what? Just drop a camera into the water? Isn't that kind of dangerous and expensive? Mm. I guess you do get underwater cameras. That's right. There are some really high-spec underwater cameras around. But the camera they're using isn't getting wet. It's moving up and down inside a 50-foot tube above and below water level and films each diver in smooth, linear motion. Because of the way gravity works, the camera is always in line with the diver as they descend. Although cameras like this have been around for 20 or 30 years now, the technology is constantly improving. I've noticed that sometimes you see cameras panning around, like in a stadium, and especially during opening and closing ceremonies. Oh, I do like an opening ceremony. Dive cams are just one clever type of camera seen at sporting events. Cameras can be set up on rails or wires. For shots from above, there's a fly cam. And for underwater events like swimming, you've got the Moby cam, which is a bit like a submarine on a rail. They've all got something in common with the movie I was watching as it happens. Is it about diving? No, come and take a look. It's a film from 1977 called Rocky. It's about a boxer. Ancient history. Watch it. That's the year I was born, cheeky. Watch as the boxer jogs through the streets and up those steps. The camera's following him all the way smoothly. In a way, it couldn't if it was fixed to the floor. Is it on wires or rails? It's being carried by a camera operator, but the reason it's not jiggling around is because it's a steady cam. It uses physics to isolate the movement of the camera operator from the position of the camera to stay steady however much the operator moves. That's so cool. And it was the inventor of the steady cam a man called Garrett Brown, who went on to invent many of the video camera systems we've been talking about. The dive cam, fly cam, and Moby cam. Steady cams are also used at sports events to capture the action from the ground. Sometimes you'll even see cameramen using them whilst on segways. You know, those smooth moving electric vehicles. Now that is a job I would like. Segways look really fun. They should have segway races in the Olympics. Maybe one day. And what about drone photography? My drone can take pictures using my mobile phone. It could go anywhere. Anything's possible. As we've seen, technology from the cinema crossed over into sports reporting. And even the engineering behind your drone toy can certainly be used to capture the action at sports events. Although right now, I'm keen to capture the action of my film, if you don't mind. Well, I'm going to dive back into that pool. Techno Mum's Sport Technology is created with support from the Institution of Engineering and Technology. Find out more at funkidslive.com slash technomum. Thank you.
That is it for this week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. If you have a question that you want answered, please get involved. Leave it as a voice note. You can record it, then send it to me on the free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com. If you've enjoyed this show, Hallux, Techno Mum, we've got loads more podcasts just like it on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your shows, and they're on the free Fun Kids app. And Fun Kids, we're our children's radio station from the UK. Listen all over the country on that DAB digital radio, on your free Fun Kids app, and at funkidslive.com. Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading!